Hi, folks. Uh, welcome back to On Call with Insignia, where we go on call with leaders innovating the future of Southeast Asia's internet and digital economy, or as we like to call it, ASEAN Innovation. Before we go on call, don't forget to follow our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And you can follow us for daily content for founders and investors on Twitter at InsigniaVC and Instagram at Insignia underscore VC. Now let's head into the call. In this episode, we have back on the show Anthony Chow, CEO and co-founder of Igloo Company. You may remember him from our previous season where uh, it hadn't been rebranded yet to Igloo Company, but still Igloo Home. But now they've rebranded and Anthony will be here to tell us all about that and more. Um, so for those of you who are hearing about Anthony for the first time, just a quick intro. He's the CEO and co-founder of Igloo Company. They envision a world without keys. So they produce a lot of different smart access solutions, both for the B2C with Igloo Home and B2B with Igloo Works. Previously, he was a part of Singtel, where he worked a lot with data scientists, led data teams there in the company. And he's a graduate of Stanford in Management, Science and Engineering. Once again, thanks for coming back on the show with us to update us on what's been happening, Anthony. How are you doing? Thank you so much for inviting me back on Call with Insignia on Season 3. Well, it's been a good ride. Yeah, it's not just been a ride for us at the show, but I'm pretty sure it's been a ride for you as well at Igloo Company. A lot has happened since you last came on the show. I mean, a few weeks before we recorded, you guys had celebrated five years, right? And we talked a little bit about that. And also the first time that you had IgluCon remotely for your distributors. And then a few weeks after we published the episode, you guys then rebranded to Inglu Company. That's right. A lot has happened, definitely, yeah. So perhaps you can catch up our listeners, bring them up to speed with where the company is these days. Definitely. I think the past 12 months has definitely been a roller coaster ride for ourselves and also many other startups in the industry and companies as well. Three things that I would like to share that has really been front and center of what we've been doing over the past 12 months. First of all, we have been accelerating the product launches that we're bringing to market. All the way to our fifth year anniversary, we have probably five to six different products that we have shipped into the market all around the world. In 2021, we have an aggressive plan to launch 12 products in the market. That's two times more products than what we ever have, increasing our product range by about three times. And this goes across both the consumer as well as enterprise space. And a lot of products are coming out for the enterprise sector. Products such as our MBLT Debot, a very innovative product that works on the cellular network, focusing on the real estate and the infrastructure management space. Another interesting product that we're launching is also the swing handle product focusing on smart data centers. So increasing our product range is one thing that we have been working very hard on. The second one is we are also focusing a lot on market expansion in the United States. You know, over 2021, we saw different markets having different opportunities as well as challenges. And in fact, our US market grew almost three times despite the pandemic. And with that, we saw this huge opportunity that we should tap into. And we have really been working very closely with our local partner over in the US. And we're excited that we are finalizing a deal with them where we will merge and we'll go live direct over in the US. And we'll be announcing this in July 2021. And the third one is we're kind of restructuring our operations for faster growth. The pandemic has brought about many challenges regarding supply chain, operations, component shortages. And that's one big work that the company has been doing to tap on many of our local resources within China and Korea to circumvent many of these issues that have been brought up during this pandemic. I think a lot of exciting things are happening, producing a lot of different products. You talk about market expansion in the U.S. So I, I wanted to touch on what you've seen in the U.S. and other more mature markets like Europe and Australia. What do you think are the underlying factors that produce this kind of trend that you saw? And where do you see this trend going forward? What's important, especially during the pandemic, is that uh, a lot of large-scale enterprises 
especially the developed market like the US as well as in Europe, has realized that it is important for them to restructure the way they operate. And smart access becomes one very key component of the way they run their business. Uh, especially in the US, we are on track for full-scale operations with many of our clients over in the US with direct links with them. And we have seen growth in multiple different industries. The first one of it being the real estate space. Real estate is booming. And in this climate, there's a lot of impetus for many of these large-scale property management companies to be able to manage letting people in and out of properties for lease, for sale, for rental in a much easier fashion without passing keys around. There's a huge trend in rising e-commerce as well globally. Over in the US, a lot more packages are being delivered to homes. And when people are not at home, they need to be put to a nearby locker system for easy pickup and returns. So that has been growing very quickly for us as well. Over in facilities management, a lot of buildings, in fact, in the US, there's 120 million buildings. And all these buildings require someone to manage the facilities, access to the rooftop, pump rooms and switch rooms, and allowing contractors access these locations become important to digitalize the entire process of facilities management. So in developed markets, especially across US and Europe, we see many businesses adopting this kind of solutions to digitalize the entire process. And we are part of the entire solution that they are revolutionizing the entire real estate space. That sounds really good because we're seeing a lot of different businesses trying to digitalize things. I was just wondering how did that opportunity that you saw in the US and Europe compare to how things are facing right now in Southeast Asia? Are mm-hmm. businesses not as quick to adapt or is the infrastructure not as, as there yet compared to these markets where it's easier for them to integrate the technologies that you guys have at Igloo Company? It all comes down to one single factor, and that is labor cost. Because when we're trying to replace physical keys, the markets where they have the biggest pain point are markets where the labor cost is the highest. This really points to markets like in the US, Europe, and other developed markets around the world, such as North Asia, Australia, Singapore, etc. In fact, over in the US and Europe, we see a lot of applications that have started to use our products that we never thought they'll be doing. For example, in utilities management, car sharing, and in Australia as well, tennis courts, when you want to book your tennis courts, tennis reservation can also go keyless with our Eagle Work solutions to allow you to book for an hour or two. Over in Europe, we're seeing a lot of parcel drop-off and pickups. Companies that have started to work with us to enable them to have a much more seamless way of delivering packages to people. Whereas if you're looking at the developing markets, the push towards smart access for smart cities and smart homes is a trend that we're seeing picking up. But we do believe that the time will take a bit longer because the pain might not be as strong. Over in Southeast Asia, we've been seeing successes more around the real estate property developer for smart homes. So especially if you look at Thailand, which is one of our fastest growing markets over in Southeast Asia, many of the top property developers are working with us to design smart homes and smart apartments for the residential properties as well as the mixed-use commercial buildings that are building within Thailand itself, following closely by Vietnam and some other markets in Southeast Asia. Yeah, it's really interesting that you iron that out and, and lay that out for our listeners. Going back to that trajectory, right? Oftentimes we hear through growth trajectories, either your Singapore company that goes regional from day one and tries to capture that or your Indonesian company that tries to capture that big market. But you guys are doing a third trajectory, which is Singapore company, but going global. As a Singapore company going global from day one, what are the advantages that you see with coming from Singapore that will really help you as you look towards the US and Europe and expand over there? The Singapore market has been very helpful for us. And I think the ecosystem that the Singapore government has put in place has also been very helpful for us. Being a Singapore company allows us to leverage on the various government agencies and assistance program that has been put in place. Two in particular that I would like to bring up. The first one is 
Enterprise Singapore that supports many small medium enterprises to upgrade and internationalize. We have been beneficiaries of many of the grants that they put up there for us to use. And specifically with internationalization, we have been tapping on their extensive network globally to be able to find distributors, go for trade shows, find potential clients all around the world through the network that they have set up. And they were the ones that helped us springboard. In fact, our very first partner over in the US was an introduction from Enterprise Singapore back in about four years ago. The second one that has been very helpful for us is really IMDA, which is the Infocom Media Development Authority of Singapore. They help to regulate the Infocom sector within Singapore. So IMDA has a program called the IMDA Green Lane Accreditation Program. And it helps to accredit enterprise software products and you know, innovative hardware solutions that has been developed by Singapore companies that are ready for government deployments as well as large-scale enterprise deployments. And in fact, we went through that program. They assisted us in getting our backend solutions, our software, our hardware certified for cybersecurity and also certifying the company ready for large-scale enterprise clients. And through that, we got the accreditation program. And from there, we also managed to get quite a number of potential clients within Singapore and also beyond Singapore as well. But I think one of the important things that I feel that being a Singapore company is the amount of credibility in the brand that being based here gives you. Especially in this world during the pandemic where everyone's working remotely, the most important currency in business is trust. And being able to honor contracts, documents that you put out there with your partners around the world and knowing that you will be good on your word, I think has been very important for us to do business, especially during this time. So I think we're quite proud to share that during the past 12 months, we have not lost a single partner around the world. And a lot of it has been the way we carry out our work, the reputation that we have built with our global partners and being a Singapore company definitely contributes a huge part to that as well. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that you guys really benefited from being a Singapore company in many different ways, especially now going through the pandemic. What advice would you have for those founders thinking of going on a similar trajectory, going to markets outside of Southeast Asia? Not just looking at market expansion. I think it's important for every company to be very focused on the market that the product is being built for, the product market fit. Not specifically looking at the geography. The market fit is actually more important than I think. One example from our history is that when we first started, we wanted to very focus on the vacation rental market. And in the whole world, the Airbnb market was the biggest in the US. And so while we designed the solution, we need to understand the pain points and the use case for an Airbnb host in the US because that's the most mature market for this kind of home sharing host. And so that's where we, we started. And in fact, what we did was also to really understand our customers. We lived a day in the shoes of our customer and by being Airbnb hosts ourselves. So in fact, the first 12 months, we actually had a property with five rooms renting out on Airbnb and using our own solution so that we know what kind of productivity gains, what kind of benefits and value that our products can bring to our customer and to ourselves. And from there, it's easier to then scale up to any other Airbnb host. So I think the, the important thing is to really understand your customers well, to actually live a day in the shoes of your customer. And then you look at which geography is the one where you can maximally penetrate that market that you want to go into. And then I think subsequently, once you have identified which geography that you want to go into, where the maximum potential is there, I think it's important to then find strategic partners within the market itself. You will never know the local cultural norms, the local cultural business practices, and also the network and relationship in the market. And it's very important to find a partner who is strategic to you in that market, not just in terms of a potential sales network, but also in terms of deployment 
servicing the customer. And after that, finding good capital within the market is also important as well. Those are really great points. It's clear that Igloo company has already been building the foundation for actually going global and going into these different markets even five years ago when you guys were already putting yourselves in the shoes of being Airbnb hosts. So speaking of going global, one thing I enjoyed from the previous podcast was actually listening to the different case studies that you mentioned, which are all quite interesting, talking Mm -hmm. about internet infrastructure in China, telecommunications companies in the US, hospitals Mm -hmm. in the UK, golf courses in Australia. Every business needs locks. Yeah, yeah. Every business needs locks, exactly. So I was wondering if you could, given this new focus that you have as a company moving forward, what are the new interesting case studies that you've encountered since we last talked? I think, first of all, the most big-scale projects that we started to embark on since the last time we spoke, uh, a lot of them are in infrastructure development. And these are really related to smart cities projects across utilities deployment. For example, we are working with some big cities companies over in Central Europe, where we help them secure access to their rooms, their equipment areas, the gates, as well as different pump rooms and switch rooms that they have that's deployed across the country. I think infrastructure management is, is one big use case that we have been starting to tap into and starting to deploy. Another big one is in the real estate space. More and more property management companies that are trying to buy, sell these properties are starting to realize that managing physical keys is a big pain point and they need to get rid of it to help them streamline the whole process. So a lot of single-family property owners or multifamily property owners in the US have started to approach us to adopt and change up the physical ways to run access into digital way with works interesting ones. I can share with you, one of them is actually over in Thailand. Thailand is a huge producer of durance. And we always say that the more valuable the product that you are trying to secure, the more value EgoWorks can provide as a solution. So this particular transport company, they transport durance across the country. And they realize that along the way, sometimes the durance will go missing because the durance are tasty. And, and maybe someone will take the durance away and have like a snack along the way. So they bought our locks from us, secure their trucks, and so that the trucks will be geofenced. So only when they reach the designated delivery point, the padlock opens and then the durance can be delivered. And it helps them save on any durance that might go missing along the way. We have other nice use cases as well, especially with the pandemic. We also have hospitals that have started to approach us. One very interesting one that came across our table was this hospital over in Japan that wanted to use our Igoworks solutions to secure live organ transplant. They need a way to be able to secure that box that stores the live organ and make sure that the entire delivery is tracked and is safe and is secure from hospital A to hospital B. But beyond this, we started to see a lot of companies that started to use our products to secure vaccinations. So we have a couple of projects over in the US and even in Mexico as well to lock up lockers where they were to store the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine in lockers so that only when the right people are there, then you can unlock it and take out the vaccination to vaccine the individual. I think, as you said previously, everything needs locks. (laughs) Everything needs lock. Moving on from the tech, I also wanted to talk about people as well and Mm. specifically sales, right? Because I think that would be a huge component in terms of driving the business, both on the B2C and the B2B side of things. It would be great to know what is your approach to building an efficient sales operation that's not just regional, but really global. We wanted to focus on the global market from day one. And it's important for us to put in the relevant infrastructure to support this global vision that we have. So one of the important things that we put in as a tenant within the company is that it's always important to treat all our sales partners around the world as if they are part of our team. Continuously build trust and have transparent communications with them. This really goes down to not just when we have product launches, 
but also when we have product failures and defects as well. So we share with them what is wrong and what are we doing to correct our issues so that they can continuously have faith in us and they can do their jobs within the market, which is to sell and service and deploy the products within the market. And in fact, we take this quite far as well, to the extent that sometimes when we have individuals within the headquarters in Singapore or in China, sometimes we also deploy them into our distribution partners. For example, we have one of our business development guy deployed in Vietnam for a month to help our distribution partner within Vietnam to get onboarded. We have somebody that spent about two months over in the US as well with our local partner in New York to enable the entire onboarding of our partner and also get first deals and first wins together with them. This creates that nice relationship between our company as well as our partners around the world. And we all see ourselves as, as the same team. The second point is how do we enable everyone to be continuously connected, not just during the good times, but also during the tough times. And, and this is something that our business development team, our marketing team, our commercial team spends a lot of effort with not just understanding the market, but also understanding their operations. How do we ensure that they are able to perform effectively within the market? So one great example that our team actually did was when we were building distribution points across Europe, and today we have probably about 20 over distribution partners within Europe. It is very challenging to ship containers and products to different uh, markets within Europe because of different tax laws, different import duties, and, and it's different from France to Latvia to Norway to Sweden. So what we did was we worked with our local partners to come up with a strategy to consolidate all the shipment to one specific location over in Ireland where everything is shipped there and it will be disseminated to the end. And this is something that our team doesn't have to do. We could have just left it on our partners on the ground. But by our team stepping in, we help optimize the cost for everyone involved. And that helped to build the trust and loyalty and the long-term working relationship with our partners on the ground. And this is just one of the many examples that we have. That's a really great example that you guys really go the extra mile in terms yeah. of creating this ecosystem where everybody really supports each other. For the past few, like past 12 to 18 months, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm sure has been a period of huge change at, at, at Igloo Company, not just with doubling down in terms of the enterprise, but also focusing on, on a lot more markets beyond Southeast Asia. I'm just wondering, and, I, and I'm sure our listeners would love to know as well, how has the mode for Igloo Company or the advantage that you guys have evolved over time? Given the different focuses that you've had over the years, how will this uh, influence your company's growth moving forward? With every company that is trying to make a change within the industry or bringing solutions to the market, I think the first thing is always to have customers that believe in what you do. You have to look at what your competitors are doing, but you don't go too deep into worrying about them stealing your customers or you stealing your customers because the world is huge. And having customers that stick with you, believing in what you're doing, that's extremely important. And that really comes from the way we treat our customers, very much like how we treat our people within the organization. It's all with trust, with openness, and we build a reputation with them. And them staying with you through COVID period, through any issues with the product, that means you are actually creating value for them. I think that's number one. And that's very important that we have cultivated a, a great pool of uh, customers that believe in what we are doing and will help us expand our market beyond this initial set of customers. This was a Nice quote from Paul Graham, a Y Combinator, who mentioned that it's a lot better to have just 10 customers who truly love your product rather than 100 customers who just sort of like your product. The people who love your product will eventually be true ambassadors of your company. And that helps you build that brand awareness greatly over in the markets or industries that you want to go into. The second thing is the people that we have. We have built a great team across the multiple functions that we have. 
across sales, operations, product engineering, and some of the thought leaders within the industry have joined us and they, have, they believe in our vision. And because good people coming together, the probability of you executing on your vision and achieving it becomes much higher. And I think once somebody also said that, especially during this COVID period, surviving is the new growth. Just having good people, making sure that we are continuously executing, moving in the right track is a, is a good success line. And we have seen many of our competitors who have just kind of faded away because of the different challenges that they face and a lot of that has to deal with the people that they have. One more thing on the people side is also the investors and the shareholders that we have. Like in Tingnia, our investors have really been strong partners of the company. It's one thing to be together during good times, but when the going gets tough, we really been very honored to have great supporters of the brand as we continue to overcome some of these challenges that COVID has hit us and to continuously capitalize on the demand that COVID has brought about as well. Likewise, it's been a privilege to have stuck things out with you from the beginning through the pandemic and until now. Yeah. And speaking of moving forward, one thing we always ask our, our guests here on the show, especially the CEOs, is where do you see the company being in the next five years? Well, I think there's a lot of parallels in the, the period that we're going through right now with the Spanish flu back in 1918. That was when 500 million people got infected, tens of millions of people died. But what, in, what was interesting was what happened next. By the end of the pandemic during the 1918-1920s, actually brought about a period known to us right now as the Roaring Twenties. It was a decade of huge cultural, economic prosperity as well as technology revolution. And I believe that we see a lot of parallels then to what we are experiencing right now. And I think the technology revolution has really started to kick in. And the way we live, way work, play or travel has completely changed just in the past 12 months. And this change is unlikely to go back to pre-COVID-19 pandemic era. And I strongly believe that smart access and the work that we do is going to be very strongly embedded in the homes that we live, the businesses that we run, the cities that we build. And the opportunities for smart access in the next five years, 10 years is going to be huge. And the growth is going to be tremendous. What I see in the next five years for the company, I think it's been in the next two to three years, we are going to be experiencing at least a 10 times growth in our US market. We can see the pipeline is there, the deployments are starting, and the customers are, are there. Over in Europe, where we have put in a lot of effort to start building the operations, we will be starting to see expanding operations within the different European market, probably starting in Central Europe, moving to Scandinavia and Eastern Europe as the years go by. But I think importantly, being in Singapore as our headquarters, we see ourselves as the dominant player for smart access within Singapore. As a shining example of smart access for smart cities out from this little red dot in Singapore and having a strong presence across Southeast Asian region. Eventually becoming a market leader in smart access and smart security solutions globally. The way I see it is the, the first five years, you guys were really laying mm -hmm. the foundations with this ecosystem, mm -hmm. different distribution partners, exploring use cases, developing like the core technologies. And now it's really just rolling things out yep. <laughs> and, yep. and doubling down on growth across these different opportunities that you're seeing. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. it sounds really exciting. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. Laying the foundation mm -hmm. is one thing, but really in the industry that we play in, we are kind of straddling between the physical and the digital in terms of security. Mm. So innovation right. in product development and technology development must continuously run so that we not just stay ahead of our competitors, but live by what we sell to our clients, selling a peace of mind, selling security. And, and I think this is something that we continuously need to invest in R&D for on our way to become the market leader in the space. On that note, I'm going to head into the most important part of this podcast, which is the rapid fire round. <laughs> 
Okay. Okay. So I'll just ask some uh, quick questions, and then you sure. can respond with short and sweet answers. You've you've done this before in the previous one. Yes. But we, we but we updated the questions now, <laughs> so we have a, a a new set of questions. Okay. So first up, top three skills of a CEO. The first one is that as a CEO, it's very important to be able to gather information effectively and find out sources of truth very quickly. Learn fast so that you can prioritize and make decisions as quick as possible. Because as a CEO, you're always the bottleneck. To making strategic decisions within the organization. The second thing is really around how do you have good people management and influencing skills. This is so important to be able to bring people on the same journey as you, make them work on projects that are of high value and high impact, and so that all of us can do the best works of our life within a good company and change the world together. And the final thing I feel is to have confidence in the vision and also be confident in the strategy that you and the management team is rolling out, so that the whole team can. Stand behind him and execute. Well said. And the next question is: What is the biggest misconception that people have about smart access solutions? The biggest misconception is that digital locks and smart locks are the same thing. Digital locks have been made popular by Korean TV dramas, especially because of the widespread adoption in Korea and Japan, China. Those are the ones where you have the pin code access, you have the finger fingerprint access. When you transition from digital access to smart access, you're bringing the digital credentials onto the cloud. So that you can remotely grant access, remotely monitor access, and revoke access as well. This is a very big difference. Where digital is still very local on the door itself or the access points, where smart access you can now not just grant access without keys, go keyless, but you can also monitor and grant revoke access remotely. And I think that is a big change from local to remote. One way to think about it, smart locks aren't necessarily people bound anymore. I really like the example that you mentioned about the durians, where there's some kind of geofencing involved, where once it reaches a certain location, then they can access the locks. So that's really interesting. And moving on, let's move away from the smart access topic and a little bit more personal things. What did you want to grow up to be when you were a kid? I always wanted to be an astronaut. So I always liked the planet, the solar system, the stars. And I always wanted to be able to travel to space to look at Earth from space. Even now, I think there's something that I aspire to go. And maybe with a good company, we can, you know, lock up space shuttles. And we can also lock up the cities of the future on the moon. That would be an amazing thing. That's actually pretty neat if we can be uh, the smart access for these shuttles. And two more questions. First is, what was your startup origin story? Coming from Singtel, and I think it was through a hackathon that you started Igloo Home initially. So, what clicked in you to get into, you know, starting your own company? That was when I think I just graduated from Stanford. I came back to Singapore. I spent about two years working in Singtel. I was in the data science team, writing algorithms, <laughs> analyzing data. But at the same time, I was running a small property on the side, trying to manage it because I love to travel Airbnb. And I thought that when I have a spare room from my parents, I thought I would just rent it out on Airbnb and make some money from it. And at the same time, I was also doing a lot of uh, hackathons. On the weekends, I would join different hackathons and try to do some coding, and hopefully win some awards. So there was a particular hackathon that we won, where we proposed an IoT solution to help Airbnb hosts around the world manage their properties in a much easier fashion. And that idea actually stuck with us after the hackathon, and we thought that we could actually scale that up. So we took the idea back over a couple of weekends. We started designing solutions, building it up. And that was kind of the genesis behind starting Igloo Home. Of course, it was a period of a couple of months um, before we right, actually right. say let's go go all in. But yeah, this is the short gist of it. Yeah. It's always great to hear the origin stories, especially after several years of having built the company, and then go back to where it all started. And like, the last question is: you have anything else you want to share to our listeners? Back to the common topic that came up many times during this conversation, 
is that people is the one that makes the business work and make the business successful. The strategy can always change. In fact, we have changed the strategy probably two, three times you know, across the five years, maybe even more small little tweaks here and there. But it's the people that stuck with the company that created a set of core values. They live by it. So if there's anyone out there who loves the vision that we are trying to achieve to create the world without keys, feel free to reach out. We are hiring across multiple departments, across product development, project management, hardware, firmware development, software, enterprise sales deployments. There's opportunities within the organization and we want to bring in good talent. Um, and we are always on the lookout for good people to join us. Uh, and can our listeners reach you in that case? Just reach out to my email, anthony at ecocompany.co mm-hmm. or just drop an email right. or just send your resume across to Insignia and you also receive it as well. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can send it to us or send yeah, it to him or, no or do both. <laughs> That's why I do both. Should yeah. work. Yeah, so, you know, we, we've talked about a lot of things here in the show, even if it was a continuation from our last show as well. So anyone who's listening right now who hasn't heard that previous episode, I suggest you also listen to that. He gives a deeper background into the history of the company the past five years. Whereas in this episode, we really talked about the future of Igloo Company moving into more developed markets like the US and Europe and what edge Igloo Company is bringing on the global stage, being a startup that has taken this unique trajectory for a Southeast Asian startup. So a lot of exciting stuff. And thanks so much for sharing all of that today with us on call and at Insignia. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you, Paulo. Take care. Stay on the line with us for more conversations with our founders and investors in the region. Until our next call, I am Paolo Aquino and this has been On Call with Insignia Ventures.